Hi again, everybody, moms and dads, boys and girls. You are in the chatter. Colleen, this is episode number... 112. No, 111. 111. Oh, I can't see your paper over there. Yeah, we cheated here. Let's get started. We're, we're going to bring a guest in here from yeah. uh, a local celebrity right after we begin praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious, gracious Virgin, Virgin Mary, Mary that, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, protection implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, intercession was left unaided. Inspired, inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mothers. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We are brought to you by... Hot Works on Holiday Drive. You know, they're holiday all year long yeah, on Holiday are. Drive. They then they really kick it in with two L's. They do. They holiday do. Drive. So everybody who's eating extra this holiday season, be sure to visit Hot Works on Holiday Drive and burn those calories off. Stop in and say hi to Melissa. If we do everything correctly, which we... Oftentimes do things correctly do we? around here. We're going to rec- today. We're recording. This is the 18th of December, but this show hopefully will air as the lapis- last episode of 2023 on the 29, 30, 31st. Going out of with a bang, which is important because Lessons in Carols returns to the Cathedral of Saint Raphael mm-hmm. on Tuesday, Friday. Friday the 5th. Yeah, Friday the 5th. Friday the 5th. Friday, 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 January 5th. And to that end, we have a guest with us today. Jim, it's good to have you in the studio. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. I got back to Lessons and Carols earlier this year in, in the first week in January. Daughter Madeline was there and a good friend, Tim Johnstad, oh, uh, yeah. was in the, uh, choir. in the choir. So I went down and about three minutes into it, I thought... Wow, there should be a bigger crowd down here. This was, this was quite the event. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. doing that. And we're going to talk about Lessons and Carols for 2024, but before we get started, who's Jim Mandrell? Who are you really? What were you before? What did you do and what did you think? Yeah, that's that's a loaded question. Because <laughs> so. Dubuque doesn't know you. I mean, that's some right. of Dubuque knows you. Yeah, I've been here 16, almost 16 years now. I will hit 16 years January 2nd, so I came to Dubuque in 2008, and my whole career really has been in church music up until coming to Dubuque. Right. So um, I did an undergrad in church music at Benedictine University in Lyle, Illinois, where Bishop Cusera was abbot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you knew Bishop? Say that again. You knew the bishop. I did know the bishop. I didn't know him directly, directly, but he knew I was from the you know the college there, and so he was kind of excited when I arrived <laughs> and to be oh you're a Procopian he said uh, <laughs> so that was kind of what's Procopian say Procopius is the Abbey that was the oh. original name of the school before oh. they changed it to. IBC, Illinois Benedictine College, and now it's Benedictine. Jim, move your uh, microphone a bit to your left there. So, yeah. So, um, thanks. So, I did an undergrad there, and I was working in a parish part time in college back in the suburbs of Chicago, where near home, and um, then graduated from that 
uh, with my undergrad in church music, I was the last person to get out of the school with a formal bachelor's in church music before they dropped the degree. And I was very lucky to study with a Viatorian priest from the community of St. Viator. They have a high school in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And he uh, taught at Benedictine for many years. He just died this past April. And he was uh, he was from Nova Scotia in Canada, and he studied and um, did some study in London, and then he did study in Paris. So I was very lucky to work with him at the school. It was a very small school, but he kind of cold called me. He'd heard my name somewhere on the circuit and said, "I want you to come and study with me." So somebody wants to make a pledge, Colleen. <laughs> You'll have to call back. So, yeah, he was a wonderful teacher, and I got a great foundation in church music and my studies in the organ with a minor in piano. So then I, um, after I graduated... Can I just interrupt you? So Mm -hmm. how did you know that was the field you wanted to study? Yeah, that's a great question. I was always attracted to church music. We'd go to Mass on Sunday and always wanted to sit by the organ and watch the choir, you know, so I was really drawn to that. My parents really discouraged me from getting into church music as a career because they were concerned I wouldn't be able to make a living. Uh, But they really kind of realized after a while that I was just really drawn to it. I had a strong vocation to it. And so they succumbed to that and really kind of let me find my way. So that was good. I appreciated their support. And home is where? Displains, Illinois. It's just by O'Hare Airport. Right. And my folks are still there. Okay. And my, I have three siblings. I'm the youngest of four. I'm a leap year twin. So oh. I have a leap year birthday coming up this How about that? February. I'll be 14 in <laughs> leap years. <laughs> so you were born on the 29th? I was. Oh. 33 minutes later than my twin brother, actually. So, so did, was he on the 28th or you were both on the 29th? We were both on the 29th. Okay. I think he was 7, 0, 7 o'clock a.m. and I was 7.33 a.m. This is a first, Colleen. We've I never so. had a, a I leap know. year. Uh, and yeah. I have a cousin that's a leap year, too. Come on. She's four years younger than us, yeah. So, so do you normally celebrate on the 28th? Or Usually, the, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. I don't it think is. I know anybody else born on the leap year. They're out, we're out there. You're out there. <laughs> so you grow up in Des Plaines. Yes. You've got an attraction to music, especially uh, the liturgical music, right. the great uh, organs. Yeah. And uh, you go to school. Yes. And uh, St. Benedictine College, is that correct? Benedictine, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, at that point, at least become acquainted with who will become Archbishop Cusera of uh, the Archdiocese of Dubuque? Yeah, he was already gone. He was already running the Diocese of Dubuque when I was at school. So uh-huh. he was already here. Yeah, so he I don't know when he left Procopius Benedictine, but he had already started here in the diocese when I was in college. So, And you followed him? Uh, was he, I'm just trying to do the math here. I know, here. I'm was trying he, to think of he, the years. Was he still uh, he here? He retired when I got here. Not, you didn't take that personally. No. <laughs> he, he uh, Archbishop Hannes was in, yeah. here as mm-hmm. Archbishop yeah. when I arrived in 2008. Um, but I did play, do the music for Archbishop Cusser's funeral when he died, and that mm-hmm. was a real special. Mm-hmm. So I had an opportunity to meet him in 
chat with him extensively a few times, but he wasn't around the cathedral, really. He was retired at that point at mm-hmm. Stonehill. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So you said you did the mass for his, or the music for his funeral mass. Mm-hmm. So when you say do the music, is this organ music? What what actually do you play? Right. So I'm a harpist and an organist wow. and a pianist. Wow. So my degree, I have undergrad and master's degrees in organ and uh, choral conducting and liturgy, and then a minor in piano. And I started the harp at age 26. I'm 55 now. And um, really just kind of did it, studied it as an avocation Mm -hmm. and um, just really wanted to use the harp as a medium for liturgy and that kind of thing. And it just kind of grew into so much more. But my passion really is to use the liturgy, use the harp for liturgy, particularly for visitation services. I really love Mm. playing when people are grieving. And, you know, it's an instrument that really helps people to... No, we don't often see uh, harp as part of the sacred liturgy. Right. No. I don't know if that is, and I'll ask you, is that because it's not called for or because there are few harp players? Well, it's definitely called for because King David play, oh, <laughs> played the go. harp in the Old Testament. But, it's, but it wasn't the size you're toting around down That's there. true. <laughs> <laughs> I have one harp that was probably his size. But um, no, the, the harp definitely is a wonderful medium for the liturgy. And um, I think the harp was probably used a little bit more in the Jewish tradition. But sure. We're out there, but it's not as common. And so there's a lot of harpists that are playing in sacred, um, you know, forums, mm. but um, we're not like pianists or trumpet players where they're a dime a dozen, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Right. So, Our music is beautiful. I can yeah. see why you would play it for visitation. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is a great, it's just such a pastoral way to help people grieve at a time when they're really suffering. So, now, what do you mean by that? Go deeper on that, Jim. Yeah. So when I meet with families to help plan for funerals, and I know that they're grieving, you know, a major loss, I just always let them know that the harp is an option. It's available for them while they're visiting with family and friends. The cathedral's a big cavernous space, and to have silence during that visitation time can be a little disconcerting, but to have, you know, sacred tunes and uh, music that lends itself to the grieving process when they're visiting with family and friends, it just washes the room gently and kind of gives them a big musical hug, if that's a good way to put it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Harp is beautiful. You know, the harp, I mean, people think about, you know, when there there are many harpists that are actually hospice players and hospital players and they train to play in that medium so they actually study to learn how the the body works when it's moving towards death the rate and rhythm of the heartbeat and the nervous system no and so there are people that are trained to to they're on call to go into the room as someone is moving on you know, from this life. You ever heard this, Colin? I have never heard this. This is fascinating. It kind of reminds me of what Father uh, Loya said last week about music and art ordering our thoughts and connecting to our brain and even our DNA. It kind of reminds me of that. Right. And the calm that comes across the person that's kind of um, leaving this earth, the music just helps them to um, transition and calm down and let go. 
music in general or harp in particular? Music in general has the ability to do that. But for harpists who are trained to be hospice, harpists, that's a skill that they study for a few years Mm. to learn you know, it's it's medical and it's musical and it's emotional and it's all of it. You know, it's physical. So, so it's about tangible. when did you come into this knowledge of harp being, harp music being therapeutic? Was this in your educational background or after you graduated into the um, right? So setting um, here, yeah, I I started the harp after my undergraduate studies, but because the harp community is not a huge community, I just love to read. And we've got harp journals, and so people are posting articles and um, stories on the different ways the harp is used. You know, if it's through the sacred forum in liturgical use, if it's going to be symphony playing, um, chamber ensemble work, playing in clubs or hotels, Mm -hmm. playing in lounges or with rock bands, Hospice harpists. Oh, yeah. You'd you, be you've never seen the electric harp. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, there, you know, there, all these articles come through our journals. So, mm-hmm. I just love to read and you learn about the people that are out there when you're, you know. I bet. I never thought we were going to talk harp in this segment. Well, I, I didn't either. But now that you mention it, you had harp at Lessons and Carol last year. I'm yes. sure you did. Mm hmm. Two harps. We had two harps. Yes, there was a young woman, as I recall, a, a mm-hmm. uh, high school student as an intern. Correct. Is that correct? Oh, she's my student, harp student. So we did harp duets together. Yes. For prelude before but, the service. But a rather young yeah, woman. Yeah, she's a sophomore in high school now. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I'm trying to recall wonderful. her name. Her name is Anna. Anna Garrett. Yeah. Yeah, she's wow. very very Fine talented, player. and mm-hmm. I had a chance to talk to her, and I thought she was rather articulate after, I mean, for a freshman at that time, yes, a freshman in high school, yes, uh, not a lot of ums and ums, and she had real sentences, and yeah, a she, bright woman. She likes to study and to play. She's very involved with music at senior high school, where she's going to school, and passionate about her studies on the harp, and very driven. I hope you excel. have her back this year. Mm, yeah. I don't know that she can play this year. You'll have harp solo, but okay. yeah, maybe next time we'll see her in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I don't know that I've ever been down to lessons and carols. Before we went on the air, I was asking Jim if they're doing Tenebrae. Is that how you say it? Tenebrae. Tenebrae this year. We went a few years ago, mm-hmm. and they kind of extinguished lights during the ceremony, and mm-hmm. then it's totally dark and then they do this big clapper thing that just made me jump off the pew right what's that about right so that's an it's an ancient tradition uh that was really uh more um done in the seminaries back in the day it's a kind of a ancient form of prayer based on the seven last words of Christ. That's one of the formats that they use. That's the one we certainly use. And so it's usually done during Holy Week, sometimes on uh, by Wednesday, I think they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We used to do it on Good Friday evening because we didn't have a service. Our main service for the Passion was at three. But there are people who wanted some kind of spiritual um, opportunity mm-hmm. during Holy Week, a uh, um, uh, devotional kind of thing 
to partake in um, on Good Friday. And we used to do Tenebrae in my parish prior to me coming to Dubuque. Mm-hmm. It was very well received, always packed. Mm-hmm. So we started it here and the crowd was really mm-hmm. growing, but it's been on hiatus for a while. I think some of the changes in administration at the diocese put it on halt, but I miss doing it. I mean, it was very well received. So yeah, yeah so the readings and um, the candles being ex- extinguished, it's basically telling the story from the seven last words and as jesus is moving closer to death through the readings the candles are being extinguished the clap that you hear at the end of tenebrae signifies the the shutting of the tomb okay and then the christ light comes out again to signify moving towards resurrection okay yeah Yeah, i guess it was holy week so wrong feast but that's what i think of when i think of music at the cathedral i think all of these are these rightfully called liturgies, Jim? How would you Ten and Bray and Lessons and Carols? What's the genre? That... I would. Th- those are more prayer services. Yeah. I mean, when you get into Holy Week, the liturgy of Holy Week is really one liturgy, kind of segmented into three days. Right. The triduum. So the triduum, yeah, which is one great liturgy. So you know, Holy Thursday evening begins the first day to Good Friday evening, then the next day, Good Friday evening, to Good Holy Saturday evening, mm-hmm. and then the third day, Holy Saturday evening, to Vespers on Easter Sunday in the evening. The reason I ask mm-hmm. is uh, lessons and carols and, and tenebrae uh, seem to be a great aid in worship and a deepening in faith mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. in our tradition. Right. Yeah, and when we come back in our next segment, we're going to learn more about Lessons and Carols that's happening down at Cathedral on Friday, January 5th at what time? 7 p.m. Heart Prelude starts at 6.30 p.m. Oh, so you've got to be there at 6.30. So we will learn more about that when we come back for the next segment. Uh, we're visiting with Jim Mandrella, the liturgist down at the Cathedral, and you're listening to KCRD 98.3 FM. We're back. We're in the studios with Jim Mandrella, who we've recently found out is a harpist. That is so cool. I guess. One of my And f- a leap year baby. Yes. Two cool things. <laughs> I know. You never You're know throwing what... <laughs> stuff at me. I don't know what to respond to. <laughs> uh, we're brought to you by Hot Works on Holiday Drive. What a year it's been. Uh, thank you for their sponsorship. Jim, that was a great first segment. We learned a lot. As Colleen said, you're a, a leap year baby and a harpist. And, uh, and we learned an awful lot of uh, your, your family life over in Illinois. But uh, Lessons and Carols was the hook to get you into the studio. I wanted to get you into studio uh, a year ago. If it wasn't for the uh, providence of daughter Madeline saying, uh, Jim, here's my dad. Let's talk. And so we got you here in about 72 hours. She did in three days what I couldn't do in, in uh, 12 months. So I was just enchanted this January 2023 with Lessons and Carols. Must have been on a Friday night again it was. this year. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, and there was a good crowd. What, 100 people? 
150. 150 mm-hmm. people down there. Mm-hmm. But in the cathedral, which holds 700 people, right. a lot of empty seats, and I'm thinking, boy, there's people are missing it. C- can you tell us about Lessons and Carols? Why don't you go back to the beginning? How did sure. it start, not only in Dubuque, but what's the history of sure. Lessons and Carols, and why did you bring it, and all of that? Okay, so the um, in 1918, right around the first pandemic... Right. Uh, World pandemic. Dean Eric Milner White, who was in one of the universities in Oxford, England, I believe, either Oxford or Cambridge, felt that there needed to be another alternate type of prayer form for people to gather uh, outside of the liturgies. And so um, he, he began this alternate prayer service, which has been a staple and a tradition at King's College in Cambridge for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, which I put in the program notes, the first time we did Lesson Carols since the pandemic, which was like two years ago, the Choir of Men and Boys at King's had not had a break in their 100-year tradition of singing Lessons and Carols until the pandemic. This current COVID pandemic. Wow, in 2020. Correct. So they went 102 years. Correct. Wow. So was was the initial motivation, you said it started in 1918, yes. was the motivation the first pandemic of 1918, or what was his... I just think it simultaneously happened around that time. Coincidentally. Yes, it's, it, yes. And uh, so... Um, to offer this alternate prayer form, it's not just a Christmas tradition in the Anglican tradition. It's also done in the Easter season, Easter lessons and carols. So basically the format is lessons, which are the scripture readings. Right. And then carols, which complement the readings and are sung kind of as a response mm-hmm. to those scripture readings. So interestingly, they've there and the Anglican tradition of music is one of the best traditions in the world. It's just very, very strong. It's always been very supported in all of the universities and the churches in that country. So around the world, this format has really blossomed. People in all countries, especially here in the United States, uh, use their format for their own services um, in their own churches and universities. And King's has been very fortunate that they've had such a strong tradition of, of choral directors leading the choirs in these universities that um, it's become a worldwide phenomenon every year. And now it's it's really been at the point for a long time that they always commission a new carol every year by a new composer. Wow. So they always have their traditional carols mixed in, and they're always kind of changing the program up every, every year. Some of the old favorites and always some new favorites. So you'll hear the new So it's not a year. static format for 100 years. The, the service itself is always consistent. The music changes. So the, so the lessons are going to be the scripture? Usually the scripture readings are the same for Christmas lessons and carols. But the composition of the music might change. Change. Correct. Because they always want different settings of the carols of familiar words. So like this year, we're doing a brand new setting of the text Lule Luli, The mm. Tiny Little mm. Child. I've never been a big fan of that original text that we hear 
But a gentleman named Philip Stopford, who's very young, an Englishman, has written a new melody and choral arrangement to that tune. And it is so beautiful. I am now sold on that text once again. Do we get a preview? Um, I um, let's come on, see. come I, on. Oh, give me a second here. Think um, it's it's I don't have that text memorized, it's pretty new, but it is just you only have 14 days. We'll be ready. We have a major <laughs> rehearsal ready, tonight, sure. but it's really just a stunning work and a new composition from an Englishman. So that's kind of um, exciting. Yes. You know, you've, when, with lessons and carols, you think of the standby traditional carols and songs that you sing at Christmas. So to have a new melody for some of these, that's, that's kind of exciting. Well, that is important because, unfortunately, most Americans do not know the wealth and the vast number of arrangements and choral settings for the Christmas season outside of Silent Night... Joy to the World, Away in a Manger. Mm-hmm. There are thousands and thousands mm. of choral arrangements. So it's really a mission of mine to keep exposing the people who come to this venue, this prayer service, to the rich tradition. Carols from Germany, carols from Austria, carols from Czechoslovakia, carols from England, carols from Ireland. Carols from France, carols. I mean, there's just thousands of gorgeous compositions and new ones being written every day. So we're at the point of lesson carols now where people are emailing me and saying, you got to YouTube this one I just found. You guys have to sing this one for lesson carols. It's amazing. So some of the locals are are giving me ideas. Mm -hmm. That's great. So then how many voices, how many singers will there be? We're lucky this year we have 41 singers. This is the largest choir we've had. And it's just through word of mouth and kind of planting seeds and growing it out. So it's starting to, I think the crowd hopefully will be bigger this year, just with the singers, families and friends coming. But I keep telling the congregation at these services, if you are a disciple of this, if you find value in celebrating a prayer service like this after the rush of Christmas Eve and day when we first enter the liturgical season of Christmas, which is 12 days. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity. Right. This is for still within the mm-hmm. uh, 12 right. days of, of Christmas. And I'm a believer. Let's celebrate Christmas during the 12 days of Christmas. We're not on dur- board not with during, that, not during Advent. Correct. We're on board with that. Right. So we always try to do the program. The reason's on January 5th this year, we always try to do it the Friday of the weekend of, of Epiphany. That's always the goal. Because? Because it's kind of little Christmas, and from a practical reason, <clears throat> it's after New Year's. People are kind of calming down a little bit. They have a little more time. And... You know, singers who've been out of town for the holidays want to sing. So when they get back from their week-long away-from-home celebrations, they're ready to jump into lesson carols. So are all the songs related to Christmas, or will there be some related to Epiphany? There's a little of each. So the readings, we will start, we always start with the Genesis reading of Adam and Eve in the Garden. Then we go to the Annunciation story where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. 
then we do the uh, gospel of the birth of Christ, then we do the reading on the uh, shepherds coming to the manger, and then the kings. So we kind of tell the narration according to that timeline. So the first carols are really based on the fall of Adam and Eve, and Mary's role in redemption, the the responses to the Annunciation story are always based on Mary saying yes mm-hmm. to that. Although this year we're doing a piece called The Cherry Tree Carol, which is Joseph's perspective oh. on the journey to Bethlehem. Oh. When the angel comes to him mm-hmm. and says... From Nazareth to Be- Bethlehem? Okay. Right. So, and that yeah. piece is called The Cherry Tree Carol. So it's about Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem. So where does that hail from, The Cherry Tree uh, That's from England. Yeah. And one of and one of the directors from King's College wrote that carol. (laughs) So so it's a more contemporary It's very traditional. It it has a very kind of caroling sound to it. The kind you'd hear if you were going from house to house on the streets and finishing with hot cocoa, you know that. But it was authored in this time? In England, probably nineteen I don't know for sure. Wilcox David Wilcox was their director probably sometime in the 50s and 60s, 70s, maybe. So So it's not 100 years old. Not that old. But a lot of the carols that we do span that whole tradition of kings from 1918 up. You know, I swear somewhere, Colleen, on the uh, bookshelf is last year, there's a program that you print Mm -hmm. and hand out to everyone, Jim. And I swiped some of them, and they have to be up there doing that. um, Am I correct? Did you do some handle? Carols last year? Nothing from Handel, I don't believe. Um, If we did, it was just a I'm just a sucker for Handel. Well, I always tell people you can never go wrong with Handel, and that (laughs) is true. (laughs) But, um, yeah, just just a, a great variety of different countries being represented this year in the carols, some things that are very... Um, lush and meditative, some things that are bright and happy, and and like Ding Dong Merrily on High would be a good example of a very mm-hmm. light and fun carol. We're doing a Spanish carol this year with some percussion, and yeah, it's just a nice variety of sounds. So, and so it starts at six thirty with you on the harp. Prelude, yep, yes, mm-hmm. and so then seven o'clock the singers come in immediately. The, the traditional piece to start lessons and carols. Uh, is called Once in Royal David's City. So that's always a procession. That the, the uh, There's always a soloist who will sing the first verse, and then the choir processes to the rest of that hymn. The congregation's invited to sing on some of the verses. Now, an interesting story, because I put this in the worship aid, I think, two years ago. The boy sopranos at King's are all there. They're all trained there on the university grounds. They're, they board there and they study there. And a lot of these young singers grow up to be very fine vocal vocalists, vocal coaches or vocal teachers and or organists or church musicians. They just really kind of have a fertile ground for that tradition of church music. Mm-hmm. So the, there's usually about four or five boys that are picked out of the choir one of them will be singing, because they always have a boy soprano singing the first verse to Once in Royal David City to start the procession. But none of the boys know who's going to sing the verse until the 
camera goes on, the red light goes on with the camera because it's the worldwide broadcast of the service. And then the light goes on, the director points to one of the boys, and they have to start singing. They don't have any time to think about it, which is good because they'd be too nervous. They'd be too nervous, yeah. Yeah. So then that means, so do we have some something like that's going to happen? Like you have all ages in this choir? Do we have a young boy? No, these are all adults, oh, okay. but we have a soprano that will sing that first okay. verse. Yeah, okay. And about 41 voices yes. in the uh, choir? Choir this year, which is the largest we've had. So it's, yeah, it'll be pretty impressive. Is that a lot of practice then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We usually, I usually start the main choir at the cathedral in November on the music. Some of the things I always try to put a few new pieces in and rotate some of the older things we've done so that they're not learning all new music with each round mm-hmm. when we do it every year. So they're probably learning three new carols this year. Um, then I start asking perimeter guest singers to come in at the beginning of December. We have three really intense rehearsals. Christmas time a is perimeter a perimeter guest singer. Yeah, like what, what's that? Now? Musicians that we invite from other parishes that have heard and would like to sing. They're good readers. They're good singers. They want to be involved. So I usually try to keep extending the net Sure, so out. you're going out to... Like Madeline, your daughter would be a good example right, of a right. perimeter singer. Yeah. 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 And then, um, so we have those intense rehearsals, and then there's a dress rehearsal the week of the program. So. Okay. Wow. Wow. Any instrumentalist other than you playing the harp? Right. So a lot of the music is really a cappella or unaccompanied music. A lot of the carols that I choose tend to lend themselves better to unaccompanied singing. But I will be on the organ for uh, some of the carols. And then we have a percussionist coming in to play on a few things. Yeah. So. Mm. Wow, it sounds like a great variety. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everyone, no one will get bored because it's just the same old. They'll all be entertained. So that's the background, Colleen. That's the history. I'm wondering what what's what's the elevator pitch? You know, you're you're going down the elevator, and somebody says, "Jim, what do you do?" And I'm I'm uh, doing lessons and carols. Why should everybody listening? Because I'm telling you, this is this is top notch. Why should they be at the cathedral Friday, January fifth? Yes, I think that. We don't really immerse ourselves with all the rush that the secular culture throws on us prior to Christmas Eve. I don't think we really have the time to sit and introspect and reflect and pray like we can at this time when we're not running ourselves ragged. Mm-hmm. I think the when we sit in a program like this, After the rush of Christmas and the expectations that Christmas puts on us, we listen to these readings and we hear them in a whole new way. We're really paying attention to the story now. Not, okay, um, after we get done with this mass, I've got to finish baking that ham and then we've got to get in the car and run to grandma's house. Boy, isn't that true. Ah, You know, everyone's just hysterical all the time. There's nothing to distract when you come to Lesson Carols. Sit, listen to those scriptures, go deep inside, reflect, and let those carols wash over you and just put you at ease and just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. 
So we've got prayer and scripture, and as St. Augustine says, when we sing, we <coughs> we pray twice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's great. It sounds like something that would be wonderful for multi-generations to do. Grandparents, their kids, their grandkids. It sounds like a great thing for the whole family to go to. I like that idea. Absolutely. And I, I mean... I think a lot of universities and churches will do a lessons and carols before Christmas, but I want to I want to do Christmas during the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. That's when it's really meaningful to in me. The, in the twelve days of mm-hmm. Christmas, yes. yeah. yeah. Well, we are visiting with Jim Mandrella, the um, liturgical music. Is that backward? Director, director of music and liturgy. Yeah. Director mm-hmm. of music and liturgy at the Cathedral of St. Raphael's down on Bluff Street, and he's talking about. Lessons and carols to Thursday, Friday, for crying out loud. Only Friday, I can make those mistakes, Colleen. <laughs> Friday, January 5th. So um, we will continue our conversation with Jim right after this. You're listening to 98.3 KCRD FM. Back at the studio, Jim Mandrella is our guest, Colleen, the director of music and liturgy. Mm-hmm. Wow. We've been talking about lessons and carols. And now in this segment, we're just going to talk in general a little bit about the cathedral. Um, tell us a little bit about the history of the cathedral. Yeah, so Bishop Loris came in 19, or excuse me, 1833, around there, uh, as a missionary, really, to start this diocese, you know, and Baltimore really on the East Coast was kind of the center of very uncharted territories. That was really where the center of the Catholic Church and the diocese were at that time. But Loris was sent to, you know, get this diocese going and do missionary work. And I know Samuel Masakali was very much a part of that as well. So the, when I arrived at the cathedral in 2008, we were just closing our 175th year as a parish mm-hmm. community there. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's it's seen a lot of history. And um, the cathedral has gone through um, phases of um, restoration and needing repair and this and that we're now at that point i think the last restoration was in the late 80s and so it's time you know the roof has been leaking and we've had a lot more issues that have needed attention so they started this appeal and father tom toll um, who's the vicar general uh started uh, the movement on the restoration of the property when he was the rector of the cathedral. Now Father Quint is our current rector, and he's continuing on with the process of the restoration. So we've had um, trenching done and all new drainage systems put in around the property because we had a lot of leaking problems in the basement. And the, um, When you're at the bottom of a hill... Water is always <laughs> right. a problem. Oh, my goodness. Yes, true. that's true. true. So that's been a great help. The parking lots have been completely redone. The sidewalks 
and entranceways have been redone. The lighting out in the parking lots has been redone. The landscaping has been redone. Then this summer now, in this late spring, we started on the exterior. So we've been tuck pointing. The stained glass windows have been getting restoration. What's going on with the uh, with the tower, the you bell know, tower? You know, I watched it all summer, and everybody kept asking me, What's, what, what is going on up there with the cathedral tower? So yes. fill us in. Yes. So the tower is not stone. People think that it the stone go the foundational stone goes all the way up to the top of the tower but i understand that that if it were stone it wouldn't have been able to support itself from that height there so that's really that tower is a lot of metal and wood mm-hmm. and so when they were stripping the old paint off the tower to refinish it they were having trouble finding the right coating the right um uh primer to really adhere to the elements the structure up there so they were experimenting with a few different things to try to see what would stick and be a good foundation for the paint and they eventually did find the right products to get that restored correctly so after they finished um, putting that primer on then they started painting the uh, just tower in time to because the first frost was coming Correct. pretty quickly, right. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And that primer must have been white because some someone then was saying, "Are they going to repaint that white?" But that must have just been the primer. Correct. Okay. <clears throat> and they, we had to tell people, no, it will be the same color as the exterior of the cathedral. So that's been good. And then they've, um, Gronin has been painting the trims of the arches and giving it more of kind of a stone look. So the colors really pop now. I think it's just beautiful. And what I love too, this has been so exciting. We've had an electronic carillon system running, you know, um, every hour. and So that's for the bells? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there are four original bells in that tower, which were only working manually. Like if you flip the switches in the usher's closet, you could get them to toll constantly, but they weren't on the clock system. Well, within the last couple of weeks, they've all been hooked up to the clock You're system kidding. now. Wow. And I'm That hasn't worked you, for decades. I don't know if it's ever been hooked up, to be honest. Maybe it was. I don't know. But never in my time have Maybe I Maybe Maza Kelly was the last one to ring that bell. Maybe. <laughs> so, so there's four them. original four. bells mm-hmm. of various sizes, do you know? Correct. Do you know their names? I don't. Oh, okay. Because bells are usually named. Well, they're baptized. Yeah. Or, and that's why it was so important to ring the church bells is because they're baptized and they... Um, not exorcism like we think of a typical, but they were a way to send out blessed vibrations in the air to counter any demons of the air, bad things in the air that might be out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think we should ring them all all the time. <clears throat> Those spells are really, really beautiful. One of the first. Have you heard them? Yeah. Oh. Huh? Yes, I. I hear them all the time. And you know where the switch is now, don't you? <laughs> the switches have been removed from <laughs> because the because Jim was. <laughs> What I understand is when the bells were turned on, it was to signal to the neighbors, I don't know if this is true, but that there was fire or some concern and it would alarm the fire department to come and all that, hmm. so don't turn the bells on. So we usually just told them after funerals. 
but now all the switches have been removed and they're now hooked up into a main closed box system that works with the clock. So they ring on the quarter hour now. So four oh, really? times an hour. Yeah. So and then like at noon, do they yes. do something special? Correct. And at six p.m. and at seven at the, a.m. At the, uh, Angelus. At the Angelus yeah. hours. <clears throat> wow. wow. So when I'm practicing in the, in the cathedral, when it's quiet, I can actually hear the thunking of the mechanisms moving the bells in the tower. Wow. It's fascinating. Wow. wow. You know, we live near Loris College, and they used to have the bells ringing starting at about 7 a.m., and mm-hmm. they quit at 10 p.m. Right. They had fancy ones at noon and 6, and I just loved it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what happened if they're broken or something, but I love the church bells. So I'm so happy to hear that about the cathedral bells. Absolutely. This I mean, might be a way to... Uh, bridge the funding gap for the restoration correct name the bells mm-hmm. mm. oh, i like it the four <laughs> are you say there's four of them jim i believe there's yes and one of the things i heard right away i said can you hear the bells those are original bells and someone said they, they're out of tune i'm like what do you mean well they don't sound like big ben da, dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. and they don't they have the same intervals but they're not tuned in that exact melody and i said our bells are working can we just enjoy how these (laughs) right (laughs) so explain to me because i don't know what's the difference between these four bells and you uh, made a reference to the carillon the carillon earlier oh the electronic carillon so it's all just electronically produced through a loudspeaker yeah oh yeah, that's inside the tower. They still use that just for like songs at noon and six and in the morning, I think at seven. But that's after the main bells have finished doing their thing. Okay. So, hmm. so some electronic, some original. Original? Original. Wow. So we're getting rid of some of the um, drainage problems with water. And if, yes. if you know the cathedral, you're at the bottom of the hill That's with right. 3rd Street and uh, Old St. Mary's uh, Street behind there. That's right. where Grandma Oglesby, mm. great-great-grandma Oglesby lived. Was she a prisoner then at the cathedral? Uh, she was. Okay. Uh, rumor has it Grandpa wasn't, but oh. um, okay. we'll uh, leave, leave that to history. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so a lot of water drainage. The parking lot's been redesigned. Mm-hmm. All the water flow. I see new copper gutters on the uh, roof to take care Mm -hmm. of all of that. And then... um, New beautiful landscaping. That's beautiful. And the tower that's not stone, but is being restored to look like stone. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Um, I think there's still a little work that needs to be done inside. Correct. We've had leaking um, from storms. So... You know, I just, when people say, I don't know what how to describe it. I said, the cathedral looks, t- it looks tired on the inside. It needs, it needs some restoration. It needs to it's be It's been a while. Up. When was the last mm-hmm. inside restoration? Was it that long ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm getting old. It seems like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 40 years ago. Yeah. So it needs, it needs some freshening up. It needs some sparkle again. Mm-hmm. And the rector, Father Quint, is very good aesthetically, and he, you know he he knows how to do that well. He did, you know, the Dyersville cluster. Um, Peter and Paul in um, Petersburg is, was he a part of that oh restoration? Oh my goodness, that's and beautiful! Is, have you seen? Isn't it just? It's beautiful, unbelievable. Yeah, I had a wedding there in 
Labor Day weekend a couple years ago, and I walked into that. I'd heard mm-hmm. what they'd done, but I, I was can't just, describe. It. Oh, you can't. No, it is you can't. just spectacular. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those churches where you think this is out in the middle of a cornfield, yes. and it's so beautiful. Um, we are members of St. Columkill, mm-hmm. and our previous pastor, Father Phil Cruzy, yes. he was there from 2000 to 2006 at St. Columkill. Mm-hmm. Um, but Petersburg is his home parish, uh-huh. and he's proud of that church. Yeah. So he took a busload of uh, parishioners that wanted to go and uh, go to look at St. Peter, St. Peter. Saints Peter and Paul. Peter and Saints Paul. Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul at um, Petersburg, and he was telling us that when they built that church way back when, four families mortgaged their farms to build it. Mm-hmm. Now, not just their house, but yeah. their livelihood. Yes, four families. Isn't that incredible? That's the faith. That is. is the faith. And coming from the big city, you know, I've never experienced that small town connection uh, that organic and literally that organic that organicness that comes from your livelihood that goes that naturally moves into the organicness of your faith and i i just really come to appreciate the beauty of that that these german families like built this this edifice mm-hmm. of their faith and it's so grand and yes mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. sitting in the middle of a cornfield it's just mm-hmm. spectacular mm-hmm. I really yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah all those churches yes same yeah. Boniface yeah and in yeah. Indiana yeah. yeah the Basilica they're yeah. all just amazing amazing churches mm-hmm. um, Jim we got three or four minutes left can you believe it's going this fast I Colleen I can't I can't um, I don't mean to embarrass you but Going to Sunday morning Mass at the cathedral is a um, relaxing time. Um, Tell us about your philosophy with the music on any given... I'm talking about the 9 o'clock Mass. Thank you. The the chants, the antiphons, the... What's your philosophy in bringing that to the... Uh, sacred mass it's a great question so i have been really kind of working with our assembly in formation on this for my time there at the cathedral and you know we've got the Nor- novus ordo and it and we can pray that well i mean the roman missal is very clear everything's laid out for us and we don't need to reinvent the wheel so to speak i don't amen i i I hear people saying oh well we're in a progressive parish or we're what does that mean yeah what is that yeah i don't know because the liturgy is the liturgy and my goal is to not for the cathedral community to model liturgical excellence by singing the liturgy not singing at the liturgy. Okay, go deeper on that Absolutely. distinction. What's that mean? It means singing the the the, the Novus Ordo, what's, what's prescribed for us. The dialogues between priests and people have first priority. The antiphons are next on the list. Mm-hmm. The, the mass parts, the mass propers, the gloria, the psalm, the gospel acclamation, next down on the list. Hymnody is foreign to the Roman Rite, really. It's an addition. It's a recent addition since Vatican II. But it's not truly what our heritage is. Chant is our heritage. Now, you say Gregorian chant people, and they, ah, 
ah, it's scary, you know, but we're singing English chant, we're singing the propers, we're singing the chants of the day at the liturgy. It's mixed in with all parts of the liturgy, but I really You feel really think people are are repulsed or scared to death of the uh, Latin antiphons? Um, I think that those who have been um, raised in that culture of singing the Latin antiphons, fine, but f- most parishes who've prayed the Vatican II liturgy since the 60s, it's very foreign for them, so they feel like we're going back, but we're not really. We're just maintaining what we should have been doing all mm-hmm. the time. So I think by putting the antiphons, uh, Columba Kelly, is a, he's deceased now, but he was at St. Meinrad in, in Indiana and a big chant expert, and he put the chants in modern notation and in English. Mm-hmm. So it makes it more palatable and accessible mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't doesn't seem so right scary to them. Now, Tom, you had told me about a YouTube channel called Sing the Hours, and I have really been enjoying it. I'm not sure if you have seen it, but you know that one, Jim. I don't. I have to check that out. Sing the Hours. It's just beautiful. It's chant, and sometimes those chants, almost to my ears, sound like they could be Jewish. Uh huh. You know, sure. and you think, oh, well, of course, our history right. came the from the Jewish, right. you know, song. Mm-hmm. but it's just beautiful. And then every now and then they'll put up the music, like the notes. And I'm like, how in the world do you follow those Gregorian chant notes? Because they don't look like a typical note that you would Correct. look in your missile. Do you read that music, Jim, the uh, Gregorian can. music? I can't. It's actually not hard to read. You just, you follow the intervals really up and down, mm-hmm. um, but it takes it takes some practice. Mm-hmm. But I, I just really I I I my mission is to try to be true to what the liturgy is asking us to do, but also from a pastoral point, make it accessible to the people who come to worship. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much my. Mm-hmm. So this show is going to air um, after the Christmas holiday, mm-hmm. but in the season of. Christmas, the That's 12 right. days of Christmas. What would you, you got You got 60 seconds, what's your best pitch to invite Catholics back to every Sunday liturgy, uh, particularly at their parish, but specifically at the cathedral, Jim? Well, I would say in general um, that we we try to offer a place of, of calm, of introspection, of elevation of the liturgy. Our world is so bombarded with so much noise, with the internet. Uh, people uh, are become so addicted to that which isn't centered on Christ. And so the liturgy offers us that opportunity to get out of the noise mm-hmm. of the world and to come and be with Jesus in the Eucharist, in the Word and in the Eucharist. And so I feel that the church can offer you that place of calm, peace, and refuge and prayer that you can't get anywhere else. And I feel that people, especially the young people, are so much struggling with their faith today. Mm-hmm. So I think in building relationships with people, we often find our way back to the church. So meeting that one-on-one and talking about faith with one another mm-hmm. is always a good way to re-enter. Absolutely. And that was one of the um, unfortunate things about COVID was mm-hmm. when churches were closed and we didn't right. have that connection. Yes. So, Jim Mandrella is our guest. Jim, before we, can you believe we're out of time? I can't. 
Before we get out of here, Jim, give us the uh, details on sure. Lessons and Carols 2024. Yes. So Lessons and Carols, Friday evening, January 5th, the weekend of the Feast of the Epiphany at the Cathedral. The, uh, the prelude will start at 6.30 p.m., Heart Preludes. The program starts immediately at 7 when the bells ring. Program goes about an hour and 15 minutes. Then we have a festive reception in the Cathedral Center, Lots of people will be baking for this event, and it's just a great way to socialize. It's like Dubuque's very own parish Christmas party. (laughs) Gotta love it. And we're flat out of time, Colleen. Amazing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the the Son, and to the the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it was in the beginning, beginning, is now, now, and and ever shall be, world without without end. end. Amen. Amen. Tune in again next week for the chatter. We love you. (laughs) 